Tonight I'd like to talk about emotions um, with the subtitle of Finding Their Place in the Nature of Things. And this may be relevant to some of you since a few things are getting stirred or moving for you now that a few days have gone by on the retreat. You may have noticed that Here in the meditation hall, we don't have any Buddha images. In a lot of meditation halls in our tradition, there can be quite a large Buddha sitting in the back here, or even small Buddhas. (laughs) But one of the reasons that we don't have a Buddha image here is because it's somewhat easy to project onto that image, seeing the Buddha sitting there so still and so serene and his face unmoving that you may need to be the same way and that there's some way that that image might evoke a certain mind state or a certain inner state of being that is totally unmoving. And then when things start to move for us and our mind is moving and our feelings are moving, as they do, when we feel the restlessness and the agitation and lots of emotions that are touched by memories of the past and thoughts of the past and images of the future, it's easy to think that that shouldn't be happening, all that shouldn't be going on, that we're supposed to be totally unmovable and untouched by anything. I mean, you might even project that onto Carol and myself. You know, that we're sitting up here, (laughs) you know, we sit rather still, and all kinds of projections can come forward about, you know, that that our minds are completely (laughs) unmoving and there's no thought arising, there's no feelings arising. It's possible. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) She just asked me if that wasn't true. But it's interesting how those projections are made through our ideas, again, about what's supposed to be happening in this practice or what the goal of this practice is. In fact, it may be that some people are even attracted to the practice as a way to, we might say, even escape from all that inner movement from that emotional life. The possibility of using the practice to go into a certain state of mind, which is possible, where we feel very one-pointed and very still, and for a period of time, the emotions can get quite cooled out and quite still and not moving. And we may think that this is actually where we're supposed to be all the time, and that even after we leave the meditation retreat, if we have touched some of those spaces some of the time, that when we leave the meditation retreat, we're supposed to carry this with us, this sense of immovability or untouchability. In the Buddhist tradition, we use the word sometimes uh, detachment, that we're, we, we experience a kind of detachment 
which may be true in some ways, but it can be taken again to an extreme as untouched, sort of impermeable. And then what happens, even if people do touch a certain level of concentration where they feel some relief from those stirrings, those inner stirrings, those inner movements of the mind, when we go back out into the world, and when they go back out into the world, and they enter into relationship and interaction and the, and the usual uh, needs that are required to function in the world with all the pressures of life, it all comes back up again. It all gets stirred up. And then people can think, oh, I've lost it. You know, I didn't really get it. I didn't get it well enough that I can carry it with me when I leave the retreat where I can keep this mind state, hold on to this mind state. And what's very, very useful about the practice that we're doing is that it's teaching us how to be skillful with all of the movements of life, how to be in a wise relationship with all of the movements of life without having to push any of it away, without having to sort of segment our lives off so that we only experience certain things or we're only uh, in relationship with certain people or we can only go into certain conditions in our life. But more of a fluidity, more more of a freedom of movement, a freedom of being so that perhaps we can move anywhere, we can go anywhere, we can be in any situation, whether it's a very easy one or whether it's a very difficult one. And so we begin to learn how to be, I use the word skillful, but I I think better a wise relationship with our emotional life as we are learning how to be in wise relationship with our mental life and with our thoughts. But tonight I'm not separating out the thoughts because I'll talk about that relationship, but I very much want to point to this whole movement of emotions because sometimes they can be seen so overwhelming and so powerful and so strong that we just seem to get carried away by them. We seem to, at times, get out of control where we may not even know ourselves temporarily. If something takes over, some kind of fear or anger or, or sadness or depression or excitement, and, and, and what, what do we do with that? How do we relate to all of this in a wise way so that we can come to some understanding and some balance so that we're not feeling out of control? We're not spun all over the place by, by this emotional life, which can be very strong. The pasana very much is about opening to life opening to the impressions of life all around us. It's about connecting. It's about not closing off, not shutting down. And as you've already picked up as the days have gone on, the reminders again and again to be here, to be present with what's happening, not to go to sleep, not to get too distracted, but to see if you can come back and connect with what's happening. Be here for what's happening. So there's that that reminder and that encouragement. We use the word to stay open, to stay awake to all that's passing through.
true. All that arises and appears and all that that disappears and passes through. And in doing this, it does bring us more fully in touch with life as it reveals itself moment to moment to moment. We're more here. We're more connected. We are more present in our life for all that is occurring. But our patterns, our conditioned patterns that we've learned from growing up, from our childhood, for certain reasons, we've learned certain strategies to protect ourselves or to move through life in a particular way so that we don't have to feel so much because in some ways it can feel like too much or we don't feel we have the capacity to really face life the way that we may need to. In the practice, our emotions are natural and they are appropriate. It's in no way something that we have to get rid of. It's not something that we have to find a way to calm down or to do away with, which may be uh, uh, communicated by this statue of the Buddha. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to get rid of them. But what it does mean is that we have to learn how not to be controlled by them. There's a big difference. Not to get rid of them, but not to be controlled by them. How do we know our emotions? How do we know our emotions? How do they actually manifest for us? They appear through the mental activity, through the mind, through our thoughts, and they appear in the body through physical sensation. So there's the mental life and there's the physical life. Depending how much in touch we are with ourselves, first of all, we may not know that we have any emotions. (laughs) Some people just are not in touch with them at all. Some people are just aware of them mostly through the thought and through the movement of the mind and the mind states and the moods that happen at a mental level. Some people are much more aware at the physical level or the bodily level of the whole movement and the sensations that happen in the throat and the chest and the belly and and the face and the heat and the energy and the vibrations and all that moves through the body physically. And some people are aware of both of those, the physical and the mental component. Now, I don't know, because I haven't done any research in the area, I don't know if any one of those is better than the other, whether it's, or, or, or that some people experience more at the mental or some people experience more at the physical in terms of what's right or what means that somebody's really connected. I know for myself that it's very much a mental and a physical experience. It seems that the emotions have a lot of, of activity both at the level of thought and both at the level of my physical body. And we can start to reflect on this. We, we can start to get a sense for how it is for us. What is it that we're in touch with? What is it that we're in contact with for ourselves? As we start to allow life in, 
and we start to let ourselves be touched more and more and more. How can we feel life? How can we feel the impressions of life, of sight, sounds, taste, touch, smells, and, and our mental activity and relationships and situations? How can we start to let this in more and more so that we're not overwhelmed by it? So we don't get so confused by it. So we don't have to keep ourselves guarded or defended or closed off. But first of all, the truth is we will. (laughs) As we start to get, as we start to open more, as we start to let more in, we will get overwhelmed at times. We will get confused at times. And that's just part of the process. Because this is a learning This is a training that we're involved in so that we can approach our life more and more skillfully, so that we can be more steady, so that we can be less reactive, so that we can be less caught by our greed, by our hatred and our anger, and by our confusion. So to look at the way to be in wise relationship. I remember back in the early 80s, um, one of my teachers, his name is Manindraji. He's an Indian teacher from Calcutta that is the teacher of some of my teachers and also is my teacher. And he came to visit California. This is back in the early 80s. So it's not too much after kind of the big explosion of exploring the feeling life and the emotional life in California because there was kind of a big, like, that's what you have to do um, era. (laughs) Express yourself, be yourself, be free in yourself. And so there was a a film that he wanted to go see. And it was a film that was a documentary about uh, what was going on at the... uh, ashram, Raj, uh, Rajneesh's ashram in Pune in India. And in the 70s and early 80s, there was quite a lot of experimentation around this, express yourself, be all that you can be, don't hold anything back, don't guard anything, just break down all the defenses and be out there. And the documentary was actually a little bit scary because it showed some of the really unskillful things that were happening at the ashram because people didn't really have the wisdom. They didn't have the wise relationship to their emotions. They were only going into one extreme, which was be completely open and out there and express everything that's going on. And that meant anger and jealousy and lust and uh, everything, uh, uh, envy, happiness, joy, bliss, excitement, um, loneliness and sadness, and it's all very, very dramatic. And some of the things that were going on were really very harmful to other people because a lot of that was getting projected to other people in that they were in relationship to. Sometimes fighting, sometimes violence, sometimes a lot of sexual misconduct. But it was an experiment. It was an experiment. And perhaps culturally, in our whole cultural cultural history, it's an experiment that needed to happen, coming out of a time of a great deal of suppression around the emotional life. Well, my teacher, Manindraji, was horrified. 
<laughs> he was just horrified because when he watched this, all he saw was mind states expressing themselves that it was completely out of control and there was no restraint being used. There was no mindfulness being used. There was no wisdom being brought to the situation. It was just raw emotion coming out. And this isn't the way. (laughs) This isn't what it's about. This is actually one of the beautiful things that the practice, the, meta, the, uh, the Buddhist teachings and the mindfulness practice can show us, can point us to, is using some what we call wise restraint. Wise restraint because the emotions themselves carry a lot of power. And if there isn't some restraint, if there isn't some uh, attention, some wisdom, some awareness used around them, they lead us into actions that can be actually quite destructive to ourselves and to others and harmful to ourselves and others. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of energy. So we do need to understand what it means to be in wise relationship. What does it mean to be in wise relationship? What was being acted out in the ashram was one extreme. It was, it was a way of viewing, a way of experimenting that was falling into one extreme. What the Buddha teaches is what's called the middle way. The middle way. It's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor for the, the teachings. The middle way means not to fall into extremes. Not to fall into, in this case, either the extreme of indulgence and expression and acting out, and not to fall into the extreme of suppression and denial and pretending that nothing is going on, cutting off. Not to, go, not to fall into either one of those extremes, but to find a middle way, to find a middle way. And this means that we have to be somewhat in touch with what we're doing. We have to bring awareness to what we're at, how we're actually experiencing our emotions. Are we, when we bring our attention to what's going on, is there a way that we are kind of pushing it all aside or pretending nothing's really going on or trying to keep things very steady and very cool within ourselves, but it's actually taking quite a lot of energy and putting a lot of pressure on ourselves? where we actually don't have much self-understanding or self-knowing of what's happening for us? Or do we find ourselves in the other extreme of really just getting very carried away, very lost in our emotional life, almost drowned in our emotional life, where we just feel overwhelmed or out of control, lost in our thoughts and going over again and again and again memories from the past and Turning, churning things up and getting all worked up, going to the other extreme. Finding a middle way. Finding a middle way. It's important to understand what it means really by indulging. Because by understanding that, then it starts to help us be able to look back on ourselves and see what we're doing. 
Because indulging really means that we're lost in our thoughts. Indulging doesn't necessarily mean that we're just caught up in the feeling itself or the emotional uh, energy itself. But it means that we're caught up in the thinking about it. Because it's the thinking about things, about past, about present, about future, that keeps our emotional life stirred up. If I just had an argument with somebody, and it was very unpleasant, and I was feeling quite charged about it, and I walk away, and I feel that charge in myself, and then I start thinking about it. But then, what, what did she, when she said that, and, and, and I, you know, really, and oh, I'm never going to, and, and the thoughts just go on and on and on, and you just feel that the more that you think about it, it just keeps you connected to that anger. It's like there's a direct link between thinking about it and keeping the emotions going. Continuing to think and reflect and analyze and go over and, and uh, muse um, over and over again what's going on is like putting wood on a fire that you're trying to put out. You just keep throwing more wood. Why doesn't that fire go out? Why doesn't that fire go out? And you're just putting more wood on it and more wood, dumping more fuel. The thoughts, staying in the thought and going around and around and around is keeping the fire going. It's so hot. It's so hot. When we keep our attention there, particularly when it's a difficult memory or a difficult experience or interaction that we've had, and we just keep going over and over, you know, whether it's about uh, breaking up with a relationship or losing a job or not getting something that we want, not liking the food that they've served today, um, getting irritated with somebody who's sitting next to you or your roommate and just going over it and over and over it. Just keep that, that emotion going, that anger going, that irritation going, that anxiety going, the restlessness going. It's really an important one to see. For me, this has been one of the key elements in my practice is being able to, when I understand that relationship between the thought and the feeling and the emotion, I know that if I keep thinking about something that I'm just going to feel terrible. I'm going to feel rotten. And so I need to bring all of my discipline and all of my effort to letting go of that thought, to letting go of the thought. And as much as possible, we feel into the bodily life, feel into what's happening in, in the face. Just take anger for a minute. Say that, you know, I'm really feeling the charge of something that just happened in a conversation. Not dwelling on the story, not getting caught up in the content, but bringing my attention to the present moment, feeling the heat in my face feeling the tightness of my muscles in my jaw, feeling the tightness of my uh, throat muscles, feeling all that intense energy moving around my heart, feeling the clench, my clenched fist and my arched back, and just bringing as much as possible my, my attention and all my mindfulness to that. And if I'm not feeding it through the thought, 
what happens is it changes. It changes on its own because I'm not giving it any fuel. I'm not giving it any food. And through not giving it any food, it dies away. It, 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 it is almost starved. It's like we starve that particular reaction. We, star, we starve that pattern of mind. And it just dwindles away. It dwindles away. Such a wonderful insight, such a wonderful insight to practice when we find ourselves getting caught by anything. When the mind gets hooked, I love that word hooked because it's just like that, you know, it's like hanging a coat on a, on a hook. You just get hooked <laughs> and you just get stuck and the mind goes round and round and round and round. And if we're in touch with ourselves, we can feel in to what it's doing at the emotional level. We can feel how that, that heat is rising or the tightness is rising, the constriction is rising, the constriction around our throat, our chest, our, our, our shoulders, our jaw. You just feel it. But the more we can bring our attention to that physical response as we were talking today, as Carol was talking in the instructions, just feeling those sensations as they, as they appear and as they disappear, we see that it changes. The problem is, is that we think we need to find resolution through the thought, that somehow our problems are going to get solved if we can think about it hard enough. If we can come up with the right solution, then we'll feel better. (laughs) Then we won't feel this unpleasantness. We won't feel this anger. We won't feel this loneliness. We won't feel the sadness. If we can figure out how to make it go away, then we'll feel better. It's quite a revelation to realize that if we actually just can let those thoughts go, if we can, if we can somehow unhook ourselves from the seductiveness of those thoughts, that something comes to its own resolution. If what we're really looking for is some ease of being, some inner contentment, some sense of fulfillment, and, and not feeling the stress, not feeling the, the constriction that we feel in life, the chaos we feel around life, Perhaps it has something to do with the way we're thinking about things and that we're so caught up in our thoughts about things. This has been such an important revelation for me. Of course, the whole possibility of letting go of the thought is a whole other thing, as we know. But that's the practice. That's what we're practicing. What can we do so that we don't get so fixated, so that we don't get so identified? One of our teachers calls that identification. She calls it like being like Velcro in the mind. You know, Velcro is just like, Velcro is it's such a great example because, you know, Velcro, it just goes, you know, to try to get it apart. It actually takes some effort, you know. It's just like that with our thoughts. But through the bringing the attention, through bringing mindfulness, through bringing that 
discipline and that perseverance to the thought, we find that we can let it go. We can let it go. And in this case, we use the primary object of the breath or sometimes the sounds as a place for the awareness to rest back to. A place to rest back to so that we're not just caught up in our thoughts. So it's starting with the awareness. We always begin with the awareness. This is the place we have to begin. Turning that mindful attention back to ourselves to see what we're doing. See what we're caught up in. In Pali, the word for mindfulness that we're teaching here is sati. S-A-T-I. Sati. And there's a beautiful definition from uh, a book on... uh, a book by uh, uh, Buddha Dasa, one of the teachers of uh, some of our teachers here uh, from um, uh, Thailand. And the definition of mindfulness is recollection. It's a remembering, but not from memory. It doesn't come from memory. It's more of a recalling. A recalling our wisdom, an awareness that recalls or brings back our wisdom. I love that, that moment that we make contact, that moment that we connect back, when the mind isn't so cluttered, when the mind isn't moving all over in the past and present and future, we call back our wisdom, our intuitive knowing, our intuitive wisdom that can see things clearly that can see things for what they are. Another great saint, Ananda Mayama from India, who died in the 19th, just this century. Another little take on this remembering. She says, the remembrance of God is like a flame. In whatever direction it is blown, it will burn up whatever lies in its way. So that moment that we return, that moment we, re- we recollect, is like touching God for that moment because we're letting go. We're letting go of all of our fixations and our structures and we're just there meeting just what's happening. And she says that's like a flame. It'll blow away whatever lies in the way. That clear space, that open space. So we begin with awareness, beginning with awareness, knowing what's happening, knowing what we're thinking about, how we're, how the mind is moving, and noticing the story that we're generating. Notice that story that we're generating with the anger, with the hurt, with the jealousy, the anxiety, the excitement. Because if we don't let go of the story, it actually keeps us from going deeper. Because we stay at a relatively superficial level of our being. We can't really go deeper. And when we let go of the story, we can bring the attention in to the body, 
we can see what's happening at the level of sensation. The emotions might not be be happening in the body, but it's really a good first place to look, to see if anything's going on there. And then we can check out the mind state, the mood, sort of the environment of the mind, and feel that, be aware of that, be attentive to that. And then observe how it changes with this clarity of mind when we're not just going off into the story. You can see how it changes. And when we see how it changes, we can see the emotions for what they are. We can see that they are just passing moods. They're passing feelings. They're not so solid. We think these things are so fixed, like they're going to last forever. You know that when you have one of these strong emotions, like anger or fear or um, depression, it's going to last forever. This is me for the rest of my life. But when we look closely, we see that it, it breaks up. It disperses. It's just passing like everything else not solid. In this, in this, we can bring a patient acceptance. We can make friends. We can make friends with what's happening in our experience. We don't have to be so frightened. We don't have to be so uh, judgmental. We can just make friends with this whole movement of life, with the fear, with the anger, the jealousy, with the lust, with the greed, all of it. It's a poem from Rumi, uh, one of his books that says, Say I Am You. It's called The Guest House. And this is a a yogi census to me, um, said it reminded him of this poem, one of his favorite poems when he heard a talk of mine last spring. This being human is a guest house, every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. A very different attitude, this friendly attitude towards all that happens in our experience. We say it again and again. Be friendly. Be friendly with what's happening for you. When we look carefully, when we're able to, for those moments, just turn our attention towards our experience and see what's happening, we see that it's all not so solid. Not much of it at all is very solid. Has anything really lasted (laughs) since you've been here? I mean, if you think about the first day you were here, 
I have a hunch that your experience has probably changed quite a lot. and You've had lots of different experiences. It may feel like a, almost a whole lifetime that you've been here already. <laughs> a lot goes on. It doesn't stay the same. So even with the emotional life, we see that that's not so solid. But when we don't look carefully at that, we think that this is who I am. We think that when anger comes, this is who I am. I'm really an angry person, and now I've really found out who I am. Or when deep sorrow comes, oh, now this is who I really am. I'm this really sorrowful, depressed person. So we keep looking for our true identity in these mind states, in these passing emotions. But we don't look carefully enough to see that that isn't who we are because in the next five minutes we're going to be somebody else. Or in the next hour we're going to be somebody completely different. And that we actually can't find ourselves in any of these mind states because it keeps changing. We don't really see the impermanence of these mind states. And when we don't see this identification, when we don't see how we fix onto this is who I am, then we quickly want to get rid of the things that we don't like. We're very eager to find a way to let go. I've got to let go of it. I've got to get rid of it. It shouldn't be here. I must be doing something wrong. Why is this anger here? I have to get rid of it. But we think these strategies are wise. We think that it's actually wise, you know, that I can find some way to let go of it. But the whole strategy is coming out of aversion. It's coming out of identification. It's coming out of believing that that's who I am and I have to get rid of it. We're only reinforcing aversion. We're only reinforcing more judgment. We're only reinforcing more sense of I. I am this solid sense of myself. If we're able to turn towards the aversion, if we're able to feel that for a moment, that way that we're pushing our experience away, that we're trying to get rid of it or don't want it to be there through judgment or criticism or through some clever strategy of letting go, then it's possible to gain insight. If we can go right into that place of holding, right into that place of identification, we can cut through this sense of me, the sense of I itself, that I that seems so solid. The more that we feel and feed the aversion, the more that we feed and feel the attachment and don't see the movement of that, we're just reinforcing the sense of self, the sense of me. And we just get caught in this movement because if, if, there, if, I, if I think that I am solid and unchanging, then I'm going to need to defend myself and demand for myself and gain things for myself, rather than letting go, just letting go, and merging into something much bigger than I know myself to be, something much vaster than I take myself to be.
really discovering this true nature that isn't caught up in all of these fixations. so much more I want to say. I actually thought that I wasn't going to have much to say at all, but now I have quite a lot I want to say. <laughs> so we're talking about opening, opening to experience, allowing ourselves to be touched, touched by life as it moves, But I'm not just talking about having more feelings. And I hope that that's clear. I hope that's coming through. Because I'm not really advocating just having more emotions or being able to be more emotional in life. Because that would be a little bit more like the New Age uh, kind of thinking or what was going on in the Rajneesh Ashram, you know, just really being able to express all those emotions. More what I'm interested in is self-understanding. And if emotions are arising, if there is movement within ourselves, then we want to turn the awareness towards that for self-understanding. Just as we want to turn the awareness towards all the experience of life for self-understanding. So if there's a way that we're suppressing our feelings, something needs to be seen around that. If there's a way that we're indulging or acting out or causing, getting ourselves into situations that are troublesome, there's something that needs to be understood about that. So it's not about having more feeling, because I'm sure there's a few of you out there who are thinking, I'm not really sure what she's going on about because I don't have much emotion at all. This isn't really that relevant. So I'm just talking about how we can use the emotional life for more self-understanding, so that we don't get so identified with it all, so that we don't take it all so personally. Just as when we come into contact with all aspects of our experience, when we hear a sound or we have, uh, we, we experience a taste or we see something with the eyes or we, a beautiful smell comes in or a bodily impression, When we come into contact, what is it that we can discover? What is it that we can learn so that we don't get so identified and keep reinforcing the sense of me and what I like and what I don't like and what I want and what I don't want? But more so we can start to merge with all of it, to open and to feel all of life as it moves, to stay here, to be present for it, to be awake in our lives, rather than to be so descended and guarded and shut down. This is what we're trying to open to, to become awake to, to self-understanding, to know ourselves and to know the truth of who we are.
just want to end with um, a poem that was given to me last spring by a young man. I think he was only about 20 years old who was on one of my retreats. And he just gave it to me after the retreat. It's called Midnight's Message. Stop. Listen. The white whisper of silence is calling you out of your darkness, awakening you. Dance. The the cricket's magical melody floats over the wind, its mystery rustling the maple's leaves. Stop. Listen. Inside your heart carries that same mystery, its rhythm unshakable, perfect, true. Dance. Underneath thunder, you both sing life's chorus. The cricket calls out to existence. Stop. Listen. The answers lie in your heart's reply. You are beautiful. Dance. Let's sit quietly for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.